This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I'm your host and Managing Editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel Allen Backus. In this episode, brought to you by MFS Investment Management, we'll be discussing what integration of environmental, social, and governance-related issues means for stock selection in investment portfolios, and how fund managers can demonstrate that they're authentically using ESG information to manage risk and enhance return. MFS Head of Global ESG Strategy Vishal Hindocha explains how his firm uses ESG integration, stewardship, and active ownership as part of their process. I think the way that we manage ESG is to think about it in every single step of our investment process. Um, probably worth taking a step back and thinking about why we manage it maybe that way. And really what, I, what I've come to a conclusion of, what I draw on my whiteboard as I'm explaining this, is that what we're observing here is bottom-up changes that are occurring in the real economy. Think about how any of us consume products today, use our phones, think about plastics, or think about what we look for in our car or house or anything that we're, that we're looking at. And there's also huge top-down changes. We're seeing governments around the world, regulators around the world kind of coalesce around some of these kind of co- some core issues. And that's affecting and influencing change in companies. And so thinking about how MFS invests, extremely bottom-up, very fundamentally focused, very long-term focused, it's just an observation of reality today that we have to consider how some of these E, S, and G factors, which are fundamental to how companies are operating in the real economy, how we have to price in that into, into the future. So the way that we think about ESG is it's both a return uh, opportunity and uh, a risk management exercise, that it's our duty and our role in the capital market to price the future of risk and return. And this is one of many ways in which we can pay special attention and develop an analytical advantage around it. What does this actually look like in practice? Um, so if you're integrating ESNG into your investment process from a fundamental perspective, how, what does that actually look like? Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate the question. And it's funny, I, I think everyone is claiming integration of some description. And, and it's one of those words that um, the more we use it, the more meaning it seems to lose. And so I, I think it's critical. So we've been thinking about Um, sustainability and durability of the businesses in which we invest for a very long period of time, as have many others. And actually, one thing that's clear for us is we didn't want to turn this into a product-based conversation. One thing that worries us a lot is actually the commercialization of ESG. And so we've made a deliberate decision to say, rather than launch a sidecar of, of ESG products and vehicles, which, you know, can be painful commercially, rather what we would do is embed it in every single thing that we do so if you think about an investment process being one of you know research so what is the universe of stocks that i'm covering valuation of those stocks what how do i attach an intrinsic value to them and how do i think about the modeling of that portfolio construction how do i put it together in a portfolio that's going to meet the client's needs and then stewardship so once i own those securities how do i be uh, make sure i'm a good steward of that capital and act as a responsible owner. So across those four sort of very basic building blocks of how any investment process works, not just at MFS, we thought, well, how could you actually embed and imbue sustainability as a fundamental concern in every single one of those? And so for us, it's, again, not just about focusing on a particular issue, but thinking about the material issues to the long-term economic value. Again, something I've been thinking about recently and, and have never tested before, so Rachel, I'll test it on you, is I think there's a difference between investors who think about providing ownership of 
of their investment companies and those that are interested in exposure. So I'm sure we're going to get get into this in terms of why we take a deep integration approach across and why we're not launching vehicle. But I think it's because we take a view that we are owning these businesses. We want to own them for multiple years, often, you know, 10, 10, 15 years that we want to own these businesses. We want to understand them incredibly well. And we're providing ownership of these entities, of these economic entities. We're not really, we're a pure active manager. We, we don't provide exposure to factors or to, to a market. And I think there is a difference in mentality then of, and, and the path that leads you down in terms of what is the best way that we can play our role in terms of creating value greening the real economy um, and fulfilling our fiduciary duty versus sort of cleaning a portfolio and providing a clean, quote unquote, exposure to a client that, that might be interested in, in sort of ticking the ESG box. I'm really fascinated by that comparison, Vish, um, this idea of, of ownership. And I, I assume stewardship comes into that, that concept as well versus exposure because I think it sort of opens us up to sort of going a bit deeper into the tools that you have at hand as an active owner of, of stocks. Um, and so look, just to sort of get into it, you know, what does it mean to be that owner of stocks? Uh, particularly, as you say, you know, if you're holding stocks over 10, 15 years, which you could have sort of one, maybe even two economic cycles during that time. Yeah, exactly. And I think what it allows you to do or affords you to, if you have the the culture that sort of allows you to think through cycle and, and over that long term and as an owner, is allows you to recognize that, that there is no perfect ESG company. There is no perfect ESG sector or industry. Um, there's a lot that's been written recently, and particularly in, in the Australian market around the energy sector. And I think what we have to recognize and acknowledge is there are always going to be trade-offs. There are always going to be imperfections, as there have been on, on just about everything in the investment world, right? There is no perfect ESG company. I was in a conversation recently with um, Bob Eccles from Harvard, and, and we were talking about this, and he said, you know, I almost want to say to clients, if if you want to invest in the perfect ESG portfolio, it's really easy, just don't invest in any stocks at all, uh, which, which I thought was quite funny. So uh, what does it mean to be an owner? I think it, it means that we accept that look, every economic actor is going to have incentives. How, how do we actually work with them in a constructive dialogue? Um, Bob Eccles and Judith Stroller and others at Oxford University have sort of coined this term that I love, which is around constructivism in, in this field of engagement. So there's this sort of myth that you're either an activist investor or you're kind of asleep at the switch uh, when it comes to engaging with companies. I don't think that's true. I think there are many forms of engagement and being a constructive long-term influencer alongside investing alongside these businesses, really understanding um, at a very deep level, how they operate in order to think about how we can best represent our clients' views is to us extremely, not not only, you know, valuable and rewarding, but value accretive to our clients, right? Like, so we, we can participate in the upside as that stewardship pays off. So that's, again, how we think about that. Again, that's what we're built to do. So I don't, I don't want to make a pejorative comment here about, you know, active passive or, or managers doing different things. I think I'm a, I'm a strong believer in you want the right tool for the right job. If I just think about how MFS is built, we have one of the largest research platforms on the planet. We have investors in every location. We've, we've built to do long-term, deep, fundamental research and understand those companies well and own them for many, many, many years and, and multiples often of, of what the market is owning them for. So therefore, given that and the size and the power of that platform, it's right that the best way that we can affect change and create value for our clients is going to be through long-term constructive 
dialogue. So again, I, I want to be careful here. I'm, I'm not saying that there isn't another way or ours is the best way. It's mm -hmm. definitely the best way for us. And it's something that we've been thinking about and working on for a very long period of time. And I think quite hard to replicate for, for many others uh, in the marketplace. From a practical perspective, how do you, when you're going into um, applying these top-down megatrends that have very specific fundamental implications from the bottom up, how do your colleagues and yourself structure um, those conversations and structure sort of the, the tempo um, of, of the engagement? It's extremely non-linear. I think clients or, or outsiders can be forgiven for thinking, well, there must be a regular cadence to this and you just sort of ratchet up. The, the communication it, it's it often happens quite episodically um there's you know esg is you know we increasingly know it's dynamic there are new issues that are emerging all the time and often we want to be proactive and on the front foot with these companies around around many of these issues and so we could go through a period where we have in one month or one quarter we have multiple meetings with management teams or with um representatives of a company and then when we reach a, a bit more of a steady state, there might be a period of time where you know nothing really lapses because there aren't any material issues to our eye or ear that we really need to engage on. So um, it can be not non-linear, which can be hard for people. I think it's also, you know, what we're not trying to do is pretend that we know better how to run Exxon Mobil than Exxon Mobil, right? Like that's not the job that we have. We are, you know, investors and we we have a certain area of expertise, but. Again, we have to recognize the, the sort of limitations of our agency, and we are we are hopefully uh, humble in that in that pursuit too. The way that it typically works, Rachel, would be again we set a clear agenda, we work with management. MFS has approximately thirty uh, three thousand five hundred engagements a, a year with management teams, and again, we we can afford that because we have a team of essentially you know two to three hundred investors, lead analysts that are engaging with those companies and therefore, you know, hosting approximately 10 to 15 meetings a day with with companies. And again, we're, we're built to do it that way. Not everyone um, can, can manage to do that. It's also a very, very high bar uh, to get into an MFS portfolio to begin with. We don't have to own the market. We don't have to, we're a pure active manager. And therefore, we can concentrate our engagement activity on those that are likely to be the most material. Vishal Hindocha, MFS Investment Management. How do investors evaluate which fund managers are doing what they say they're doing when it comes to ESG integration? And how do they avoid greenwashing, where fund managers say they're doing one thing when it comes to ESG, but the actual decisions don't match that marketing? Zenith Investment Partners, Head of Responsible Investment and Real Assets, Dougald Higgins explains. I think too much there's this lack of recognition about the distinction between ESG and sustainability. And some managers who are perhaps at the start of their journey you know, they're, they're conflating the two and we say to them, well, how do you think about ESG? And they say, oh, you know, we're, we're not an ethical fund or we're not a sustainability fund. And we go, well, hang on, you're actually perhaps misinterpreting what I mean. You know, if you're saying you're not an ESG fund, uh, what do, that means that you don't think that looking at risks and opportunities through an ESG lens is part of your fiduciary duty. And I think sometimes that makes them take a step back and go, uh, hang on, okay, are we maybe talking about the same things? So, you know, we would argue that the vast majority of funds do think about ESG in some way, shape or form, even if it's only just through the governance lens or, or, mm -hmm. or the, the active ownership lens. I mean, even index funds do that to an extent. So I think, you know, does the majority of funds look at it um, in a way that makes sense. Well, yeah, some of them will do it more deeply than others. But I mean, really, I think these days, if you're saying, if, if you're not thinking 
about the risk return spectrum through an ESG lens. You know, are, are you really fulfilling your risk, even fulfilling your role, even just in risk management? So now that we've sort of defined the boundaries of the conversation, let's dive a little bit further in. Um, so on that ESG integration scale, what do you look for? What, how does the, Zen, the Zenith approach classify authentic ESG integration? Um, mm. What are some of the hallmarks and how do managers show their work? Yeah, the, the whole sort of authenticity, uh, authenticity argument is a really interesting one. So as we touched on before, you know, we think ESG is about that systematic and explicit inclusion of ESG risks and opportunities in the process. And so I think one of the problems in that debate about authenticity, which let's face it, a lot of the time it's about allegations of greenwash, is that too many people are kind of very quick to condemn something that doesn't fit with their worldview. Mm-hmm. And they're not really focusing on what a manager is actually trying to achieve and the implications of that methodology rather than whether or not they like the conclusions. And so it's a bit like complaining that a Formula One race car hasn't got enough boot space. You know, technically true, but kind of misses the point. And so we think that authenticity really should start with, well, it is a fund's a fund approach to ESG fit for purpose. And I think if you do that as a manager, it helps make certain that the the way you're approaching ESG is not just about a response to expectations, but that it's central to the strategy and, and can support the long-term outcomes. And let's face it, I mean, ROI or responsible investing as a concept is diverse because investors are diverse. And so responding to different expectations requires different approaches and strategies and the incorporation of ESG should just be considered alongside the more traditional financial factors as a way to support better informed investment decisions. And so what we look at is really a a very clear and transparent and robust process because I think what we find is that for managers where sort of ESG is disconnected from that process it, it kind of loses cohesion. I think it can ultimately devolve into this box ticking exercise that really generates pretty minimal insight or, or even value to managers. We often see a, a smorgasbord of data and frameworks and initiatives that they offer up during our research process, which, you know, sometimes to be honest, it feels like this desperate attempt to lend credibility to the process. I think you can have cases where, you know, too much is measured and not enough is understood. And using tools and data is only meaningful if you understand the best way to use them and their limitations. And so those tools should be about a way to enhance understanding, not just be a a proxy for decisions. I think those managers with a thorough ESG incorporation process understand this. Where ESG is piecemeal or it's inconsistent or where managers have clearly chosen form over substance where image matters more than the actuality, I'd say that's inauthentic. So, you know, how do we look at that? I mean, it's obviously quite different asset to asset class, um, whether it's active, whether it's index, but you're really trying to drill down into, well, what do these managers understand about what they're doing? And I think this is the importance of having a a very hands-on approach to looking at ESG. We, We don't think that you can do it by remote control. We don't think that you can just rely on surveys or questionnaires and just look at the feedback and take it from there. You've really got to, you know, take that information and then sit down with those managers and say, well, okay, walk us through it. Because look, to be honest, it's not unusual 
for information to be coming out of a manager where what's on paper does not reflect what the managers tell you. And if you're only relying on the on the um, quantitative aspect of what you're doing without going through the qualitative aspect of what a manager is doing, you, you can very clearly get down the wrong path. And so, you, you know, what's authentic? What do we look at? We're, we're looking at that understanding. We're looking at, you know, tell us what you're trying to do. Show us how you're doing it and show us what's coming out the other end. But it, but it really is part of, let's face it, you've got to hold managers' toes to the fire sometimes to get to that point. To what extent do the tools of active ownership and the approach of stewardship fall into this ESG integration sort of framework? Look, I think it, it's very important, and I, I don't think that really many people would say it's not. I think when you look at ESG, you have to accept that not everything in ESG can be quantified. I think you know, hands-on engagement with companies as an investor is really vital as part of that authentic ESG integration. And so you need to understand well, what is it that you're trying to achieve out of that. And and this goes back to also, well, what strategy are you trying to uh, implement? Because naturally, it's going to be different uh, depending on the asset class. Um, think about fixed income if you're investing in sovereign bonds. You know, how do you engage at a country level as opposed to a company level? Um, think about the nature of the strategy. If, if it's uh, an impact fund, that's one thing. If it's just a simple negative screen fund, that's another thing. So, you know, it comes back to the fit for purpose aspect, I think. But it's obviously important to understand how do you measure the effectiveness of engagement? Because let's face it, for investment management, engagement is a cost. You know, it's not a costless exercise to do all this. And so when you're looking at how do we think about the effectiveness of pursuing stewardship activities, first, I think it's ultimately about setting results that are relevant to your goals because every scenario is different. You need to be able to set objectives and track outcomes. You need to be able to define milestones and set timelines. Uh, You might also need to measure specific KPIs. But I think managers need to be clear to companies from the start on their objectives and expectations and what they see as success. And they need to be clear about how engagement processes are initiated, how they're executed, how they're monitored, how they're evaluated. I think it's important that you also have feedback loops between getting new information in and the knowledge gains through engagement um, to be able to create create that uh, valuation dynamic in, in a way between the company and the investor. But if you're not doing that, I mean, how do you really get the full value of looking at things through an ESG lens out if you're not engaging with a company? I, th- I think it's very difficult. Ultimately, quality engagement you know, it can enhance communication and accountability. It can create new knowledge. It can help contextualise decisions. Uh, it, it can clearly advance collaboration and build long-term relationships. And so while engagement is a key aspect of responsible investing, you know, it always needs to come back to the fit for purpose because it's template approaches, I think, don't really work very well. You've got to look at it in the context of the type of strategy a manager is employing. Um, You've got to look at whether or not these are short-term things or long-term things. Uh, Let's face it, um, long-term communication with companies requires long-term commitment. Um, That means that you really need to develop an in-depth knowledge of companies and their business environments. You've got to be able to um, set those objectives and milestones and understand that engagement is quite often a multi-year process and all these things need to come into it. 
You've been listening to Vishal Hindocha and Dougal Higgins. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion, which was brought to you by MFS Investment Management. Please remember that you can subscribe to Financial Standard wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 